We're going to focus today on verses 24 through 27, but I wanted John to read uh, from verse 19 to just give us again the context here. And the, the theme or the title of, of the message today is running for the prize. These passages um, are so inspiring. And I know for myself, you know, at certain times, I have read this text and it's just moved me to want to recommit myself to the Lord. I just want to, I want to run in such a way as to win the prize. And so th this is one of those sections of scripture that it's kind of a standalone text. And do you know, you know what I mean by that? There are, there are many passages in the Bible that we are drawn to maybe at a certain point in our lives or, you know, maybe as young, young Christians, we're reading through our Bibles and, and a particular portion really jumps off the page. It stands out to us and we even commit it to memory. Um, we don't even really necessarily know what the context of it is. It's just this verse speaks to me. And this is one of those passages. It, it's a standalone text. But it does have a context, and it's important for us to understand that. And so, of course, because we are making our way through Paul's letter to the Corinthians here in our Everyday Discipleship series, we, we are getting to see these verses that are standalone verses. We're getting to see them in their context. So what is the context of this statement? Now, remember I told you that uh, chapter 8, verse 1, begins some instruction by Paul that goes all the way through the end of the 10th chapter and, and actually over into the first verse of the 11th chapter, only because the people who broke the Bible up into chapter and verse really missed it and included um, or, or did not include the last thought of Paul in the 10th chapter and saved it for the 11th chapter, the first verse. And so anyway, it runs all the way through there as I have pointed out. And so in the 8th chapter, uh, Paul is addressing this issue of um, food that's been sacrificed to idols and certain Christians feeling that they had liberty, freedom, they had the right to eat that because they understood that an idol was nothing and other Christians having a real difficulty with that. And so Paul addresses that in the eighth chapter and then as I pointed out in the ninth chapter, the first 23 verses, he shows us how he applies what he just taught them, how he applies it to his own life. And so let's um, refresh ourselves on what it is that he has said. And I wanna take us back to the eighth chapter for a moment. 
and pick up in verse nine and read it through. So Paul says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Here it is. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall into sin. So that's... That's the instruction he gives them. He says, uh, as for me, I'm, I'm never gonna stumble somebody in that way. And then, like I said, chapter nine, he goes through and he gives uh, an example from his own life experience as well as, as that of Barnabas, who was his partner in the ministry, how they were extra careful to not do anything that would stumble a weaker person or that would misrepresent the gospel. And so in the ninth chapter, the fourth verse, he says, don't we have the right to food and drink? The fifth verse, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? The sixth verse, or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? And then in verse 12, if others have this right, of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel. Verse 15, but I have not used any of these rights. Verse 18, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And then over in verse 22, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. So, That brings us now to the verses that we want to focus on. So Paul has just explained in the first 23 verses that we've already looked at, he's just explained how he has conducted himself in order not to be a stumbling block. And now in these final few verses... He's going to tell us why. So he told us how, he's going to tell us why. But let me just say one last thing about these verses here. Not only are they the conclusion in one sense of what he's been saying, but they're also transitional into where he wants to finally go. Uh, Because even though we finished the ninth chapter, he's still not finished with the topic. So these verses will transition us when we come back to the text next time Uh, These will be the transitional verses into it. But again, having told us how he limited exercising his rights, he now tells us why. And this just sort of sums it up. He does so 
because he has a goal of attaining the prize. Paul's goal is to attain what he calls the prize. And that goal supersedes everything else in his life. So for Paul, nothing matters like this matters. And for him, what matters the most is that his life in the end attains to all that Jesus Christ intended when he saved Paul. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he says, he says, I have not yet attained that for which I was apprehended, but this is what I do. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was, that was what Paul was about, that I might apprehend that for which Jesus Christ laid hold of me. And so in other words, Paul is saying to them, look, I don't want to come short in the least of what Jesus has intended for my life. And so now he is going to state that and he's going to state it by using these uh, sports analogies. So, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. <clears throat> they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. So, it's interesting that Paul would use these sports analogies. He uses them throughout his writings, but he uses them here in writing to the Corinthians for the simple reason that out of all of the different churches that he wrote to, these people would understand his illustrations because Corinth was... Um, it was the city that held what's known as the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were held every other year. So the Isthmian Games were a version of the, what we would think of as the Olympics. And so this is the very city where every other year these games would take place. And as we know approximately the history of when Paul would have been in Corinth, he would have been there during at least one of the games. So he's, like I said, he's illustrating to them through something that they will completely understand. So he says a, a few things here that they would completely get. Um, you know, they have to compete according to the rules. So in preparation for the games, every athlete was required to undergo a 10-month period 
of rigorous training in preparation for the games and could be disqualified for violating the training rules. And this is what Paul is talking to them about. He's talking to them about the, po- the possibility of they disqualifying themselves, not from these Isthmian games, but from their race that they are in for Christ. So what Paul wants them and us to understand is that although the gospel is free, although it's by God's grace to us, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, the gospel will at times demand that you give up some of your rights and freedoms, even if this is a difficulty, even if this feels like going into hard athletic training. You know, in the church, this is kind of a ongoing battle between, so it's almost like a, a battle between faith and works in the minds of people where, you know, some people are very much about, I'm saved by grace through faith, which means that, hey, I just, I'm saved, nothing can alter that, and I'm just gonna cruise into the kingdom. I just put it on cruise control, actually. And one day, I'll get there. That's one side. And then you have the other side of people saying, oh, no, no. You have, you have got to work hard. You've got to really make sure through your diligent efforts that you really are a Christian. And, and both of those things although they often are where people land, both of those things the Bible teaches are not accurate. So we have, to, we have to understand what the Bible is actually teaching. We are saved by grace through faith, and God is gonna get us to our ultimate destination, which is glorified in his presence, but he calls us to cooperate. He calls us to do certain things for him. And sometimes those things are demanding. But anything in life worth attaining, we all know there are certain demands. You have to if if you want to win today, if you want to compete in the Olympics and win a gold medal, you are not going to do that by just showing up one day at the Olympic trials and saying, hey, I think I could do this. Uh, is there a spot for me? And no, that's just not gonna happen, is it? No, you're gonna have to have a lot of intense preparation. A lot of intense preparation before you can even qualify. I think of uh, the runner Mo for all. 
and maybe you remember his name. He was a British, um, he is a British Olympian. Um, back in the 2012 and the 2016 Olympics, he uh, won gold medals for the 5,000 and the 10,000 meter. And I was looking, I kind of watched him during that time and really had an admiration for him. And I was looking at how he trained in preparation for the Olympics. And, you know, some of you have heard me reference the fact that I, I run. I'm now qualifying that I jog. <laughs> I started running <laughs> 10 years ago, and I actually was, you know, th there's a certain speed you have to be at before you qualify for running. And if you're not at that speed, then you are jogging. And then, of course, you could be just walking. Um, so I'm not to the walking part yet, but I'm certainly not running anymore. But anyway, because of my own running experience, you know, I really was interested in Mo Farah and, and following him. But it was fascinating to read about his Preparation, And let me just share a couple of things with you just to give you an idea. So in preparation for the Olympic Games, uh, he would run up to 135 miles per week with no rest days and two sessions every day. On the, on the final day, he would run 22 to 25 miles. So he does this every week. 22 to 25 miles on the final day, and he would run at a pace of five minutes and 40 seconds per mile. Now that is completely crazy, but you can understand why he won these gold medals. But, but you look at that and you realize, it, you know, when you watch him, it, it looks so easy. And you see him win the medals and you think, wow, that's great. But we have to realize that in order for him to do that, many, many sacrifices needed to be made. And much... Discipline had to be put forth. That is really obvious, isn't it? And so this is the kind of thing that Paul's talking about. Paul's point is that athletes subject themselves to this rigorous discipline, and here it is, in the hopes of winning a crown that will perish. They do all of this for something that will perish. Now, in Paul's day, if you won the Isthmian Games or even the Olympic Games, you got a wreath. And it was a laurel wreath that would dry up and turn to dust eventually. Uh, today, we give out medals in these types of things, but you know, the metal will tarnish, and you know, there's a point where it's just metal. It's a perishable reward or crown. But then Paul goes on and basically says, how much more 
Should we who stand to gain an imperishable crown discipline ourselves in the things that pertain to our spiritual lives, the gospel, and our service to Christ? That this, he's just making a comparison. They do this for a perishable crown, but we are doing this for an imperishable crown. They discipline themselves. How much more should we discipline ourselves? One writer said this, he said, athletes will go to extreme lengths for a transitory prize and a reputation that lasts only momentarily. I was thinking about all of the different um, categories, for example, in the Olympics. And of course, there are categories that, that we might be interested in because, I don't know, for whatever reason, we, maybe we did that sport ourselves and so we're really drawn to that. And then there are categories that we don't have any interest in at all. But even in those where we have an interest, you know, we might be able to think of someone who won the gold medal at a certain point, but after a while, you're kind of like, wait, who was that person? I, I, you know, it's a transitory thing. Christians, on the other hand, are called to exercise restraint and self-control and discipline on the journey that leads to lasting glory the journey that leads to lasting glory. Now, we all like a champion. We all have that person that we get attached to in that event, and we cheer them on, and we're so excited for them in their endeavor here on earth to attain whatever it is. But again, Paul wants to remind them, look, we are playing for something so much greater. And the question really is, how can we not discipline ourselves when we understand what is at stake? That we're serving the Lord Jesus, that this is an eternal crown that is there available to us. Now, Paul goes on in verse 27, and he lays out his personal settled strategy. And I want you to think about the word settled. So this wasn't something Paul did on a whim. It wasn't something that he was emotionally moved to do on particular occasions. This was something that he was settled into doing. He was he was convicted about this as a way of life. And what does he say in verse 27? He's, well, he's, he's asking, do, I don't, or he's saying, I don't run like someone running aimlessly with no goal. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Other translations read, I discipline my body, I subdue my body. 
I keep my body under. Now understand that when Paul is talking about his body, he's talking about himself. And of course, the body is the means through which we (laughs) express ourselves. So the body is the thing that the sinful nature will try to use against us to prevent us from spiritually advancing. And so this is why Paul says that he strikes a blow to his body or to himself, that he would, that he would subdue his own desires and that the body would be the slave of his spiritual life rather than he becoming the slave of his body. And this is really what life comes down to. You're either enslaved by your body or your body is under the control of the spirit. Paul says that we are to bring our bodies into subjection to the spirit. I like the way the message put it. He said, Eugene Peterson wrote the message. He said, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving, I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it, and then missing out myself. I think this is an interesting translation. Um, we've shared from it recently, the call to worship in the morning is from the message. So Eugene uh, Peterson was a, uh, he was a scholar. He was a linguistic scholar. And so he had the scholarly ability to translate. But I think this passage is very interesting because he was also a marathon runner. And so you can see that he's, he's writing this and interjecting to some extent his own experience. So this is something that we need to know. The greatest enemy of my spiritual life is not the devil, is not the world. The greatest enemy of my spiritual life is me. You are looking at my greatest enemy. And if you look in the mirror, you'll be looking at your greatest enemy. We must deal with ourselves. And you see, as Paul's speaking to these Corinthians, there's a group of them that don't want to do that. Because they say, hey, we're free, Paul. We have rights. You're infringing on our rights. We're saved by grace, Paul. What are you trying to lay this stuff on us for, like discipline? And there are many voices that will tell us the same thing today. We must deal with ourselves. We must discipline ourselves. Do you know, I think this is a, this is a really good thing to implement into your life. Try to do something regularly that you don't want to do. Seriously. 
Make yourself do things that you don't want to do. That's what discipline is. You start training yourself. Now, like I mentioned, I have plenty of areas where I'm not doing that, but I could tell you a couple areas where I do do that. Um, and going back to the running thing. Um, so these days I run about 20 miles a week. And you know what? Every single day that I get up, now three or four days a week, to go run, I don't want to do it. As a matter of fact, I spend quite a amount of time in my mind trying to talk myself out of it or give myself all kinds of reasons why today I shouldn't do it. And Cheryl can testify to this. I mean, sometimes I even get up, get dressed in my running clothes, and then just kind of walk around the house, get a cup of coffee, sit down. I don't, you know, go out to the car, start the car. Oh, do I really want to do this? But I do run about 20 miles a week. Not because I want to do it. Because I really don't want to do it. But I know I need to do it because I don't want to do it. It's a discipline. And, and I have thought about this over the years. I've thought about, um, you know, this is, this is kind of a dark thought, but I've thought about, you know, what, what, what would happen if the day came where we really had real persecution? What would happen if the day came where, because I'm a pastor, they decided we're going to arrest you and you're going to go to jail? I, I, those are some of the morbid thoughts that I occasionally think about. But I mean, it's a possibility, of course, right? But I've thought about, you know, if that ever happened... I wouldn't have time to prepare myself for that necessarily. I need to be prepared now. If something like that were to happen. So again, it's, it's Paul is calling us. He says, as we read here, he says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Now, this is particularly offensive in this present moment, isn't it? Because, I mean, very few, few people want to do this. The only reason people do it today is for some kind of physical advantage or maybe some kind of advantage like, well, if I do this, I'm going to win this and then I'm going to be famous or rich or whatever. But... For the spiritual well-being, there seems to be this lackadaisical approach to our lives spiritually. We've talked in previous teachings over the past couple of years about spiritual disciplines, about doing the things consistently and faithfully that build up our spiritual lives. And so Paul says that's what he does. And he says he does this that he would not be disqualified. That he would not be disqualified. 
What happens to an athlete who is disqualified? Well, they forfeit the prize. Think of someone like Lance Armstrong. You remember that name? Very, very well-known. Seven-time Tour de France winner. And everybody was so amazed at his resilience. Everybody was so amazed that he continued to perform as well as he did and to win year after year. And then it was discovered that he had used performance-enhancing drugs and all of his titles were stripped away. Rightfully so. But that's what Paul is talking about. Sobering words. Paul says, that this is, he does not want this to happen. He does not want that he, after he has preached to others, he himself should become disqualified. And unfortunately, there are too many examples that we could draw on today of people who have done this very thing. Probably the most well-known in recent time is Ravi Zacharias. Ravi was, from all appearances, a great man, a great apologist, a great advocate of the gospel. Ravi's been on this platform a number of times. He's spoken at events here at our church. And some of you remember he died a while back, rather suddenly it seemed. But after his death, things began to be uncovered that nobody would believe, that he had basically been living a double life, that he had been... Uh, involved sexually with women all around the world. And where at his death, he was celebrated and he was lamented and mourned because of this great champion of the faith uh, had, had gone to glory. Yes, good for him, but people here were devastated. And now today, his name has become a name that you, you don't want to mention or even note necessarily that you had a friendship with him. So he preached to others. He preached to thousands, maybe even millions. But he himself was disqualified. He disqualified in the eyes of the public. He's disqualified in the eyes of the church. And undoubtedly, he was disqualified in some way before the Lord. So Paul says, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What is he talking about? What, what does Paul mean, disqualified for the prize. 
Is being, here's a question, is being disqualified losing one's salvation? Some people believe that that's what the text is warning about. Uh, another, another version, actually the King James Version reads, uh, instead of the word disqualified, it has the word castaway. Lest I would become a castaway. I personally do not think it's possible to lose one's salvation. Nevertheless, this is a real and a serious warning. See, sometimes people just think, well, you know, as long as I don't lose my salvation, it's all cool and uh, I, I just live what I want. And I, yeah, I know I probably should try to do better, but, I, but I'm saved. That's, that's, that's all that really matters. Not according to Paul. For Paul, the thought of being set aside, two things are at stake here in Paul's mind. The thought of being set aside as no longer useful to Christ because he failed to subdue his own passions and desires caused him to shudder in fear. The thought of that. For Paul, the thought of preaching to others and then himself being disqualified, that was a thought he did not want to even entertain. But then beyond that, to think of missing out on the prize of hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, was more than Paul could bear to think about. You see, these, these are things that we have to consider. It's not a matter of, well, I, it's, it's, all that matters is that I get to heaven. We don't want to fool ourselves with that. To be disqualified for the prize will be to be saved by the skin of our teeth, so to speak. And that's not really a good thing. You know, we tend to think that, well, even if I'm not as serious as I should be about my relationship with the Lord, even if I am compromised, even if I give in to my flesh much of the time, it's okay because I'll die and I'll just go to heaven and it'll all be good. Many people are going to have a rude awakening when they arrive in heaven because it won't all be good. You know, Peter warns us about the possibility, and he's speaking to believers, he warns us about the possibility of being ashamed before Christ at his appearing. Now, I don't know about you, but I have done certain things in my life that um, I regret having done and was ashamed of doing. And I don't know about you, but I don't like that experience. I don't like that experience of being ashamed. Well, this is on a whole nother level of being ashamed. Yeah, you, you in the end, you, you'll be saved. 
But as Paul earlier in this letter referred to, as though by fire, saved by fire. Again, by the skin of our teeth. Think about this, to see Christ in all his beauty, glory, majesty, and love, and to realize at that moment that we wasted our gifts and calling, that we squandered what God had invested into us to indulge ourselves. Our gifts are calling all the opportunities that he set before us because we were more concerned about pleasing ourselves than the one who shed his blood for us. This will be a painful day indeed. Even though we will be saved. As Paul spoke in the third chapter, the things of our life will either be wood, hay, and straw, which is consumed, or gold, silver, and precious stones. Both people are saved. Which one would you rather be? So <clears throat> let's stop now living for ourselves and start really living for Christ and his kingdom. I have to say, I've said this before, but it, it just never ceases to amaze me. I'm 64. I guarantee there's much less road ahead of me than there is behind me. I, having walked with Jesus for 40 plus years, I don't want to trade that in at the end for some what? some momentary, and I say that because I know people my age who are doing that. And I just honestly think, really? Really? I mean, now? I mean, it was, would have never been a good choice, but I might understand it if you were 40 because you think you got a lot of head and you, know, you might even still be good looking and you might still be in good shape and you might still have some things you could do. But hey, when you're 60, listen. Everyone over 60, listen. Get it out of your mind completely. You know, maybe all the girls swooned when you walked by when you were younger, but they don't now, guaranteed. But in your mind, you might think they do, but they don't. Just know for a fact they do not do that. <laughs> but listen, people are, people are compromising their faith for this kind of stuff all the time. And God help us to have the mind of the Apostle Paul. Here it is. Let's give it everything we've got. No more sloppy living. Let's stay alert and in top condition spiritually. You know, again, at, at this stage in life, I mean, trying to stay in shape 
physically, man, it's tough. And it's just gonna get harder as time goes. And I still wanna do it. But the more important thing is staying in shape spiritually. Because like Paul reminded Timothy, bodily exercise is profit. Profitable for some things. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promises not only for this life, but also for the life to come. And so let's stay alert and in top condition spiritually. Let's run in such a way as to get the prize. Let's run in such a way as to get the prize. The prize of that eschatological destiny of being with Christ and glorified with Christ and entering in ultimately to the fullness of what God intended when he saved us in the first place. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to take these words to heart. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to adopt the mindset of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, just as he said here, Lord, that we would, as needed, strike a blow to our bodies and make it our slaves. Lord, that we would not be disqualified for the prize, but we would run in such a way as to get the prize. Lord, forgive us where we have not disciplined ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you're full of mercy. And thank you that when we turn to you in true and honest confession, you forgive us. And you renew us and you set us back on course. Lord, do that for us today, we pray. Lord, that we would not be fighting like someone beating the air or just running around in a circle. But Lord, that we would be running to win. And Lord, you know that that's your call for all of us. And so impress that deeply on us today and move us. Help us to do our part in yielding to you and disciplining ourselves spiritually. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.